0: Should you take a $15,000 investment and start your company in Boulder, Colorado? I'm your host, Greg Gallant. Today, our guest is David Cohen. I was very excited to have David on the show. He's the, an entrepreneur in his own right, but now the founder and executive director of Techstars. It's basically a platform to allow people to start companies. They make very small investments, uh, about $15,000 per company. And give them a structured setting to launch a company. In this case with Techstars, it's a summer in Boulder, Colorado. Now, this has been a bit of a trend. It was started by Paul Graham, who'd started something called the Y Combinator, which is a similar model that's done in Boston and in Silicon Valley. There are a couple others around the country now, and actually around the world. There's one in Europe. But Techstars was interesting. I think they were the second one to get going And it's got some interesting people behind it. Brad Feld is another co-founder. Brad was one of my very early guests on Venture Voice. And it so happens that Brad funded FeedBurner. Uh, The CEO of FeedBurner was our very first guest here on Venture Voice. And uh, sadly, I didn't invest in his company. But FeedBurner went on to sell for $100 million to Google. So some really interesting people behind it. It raises some big questions about entrepreneurship If you're starting in your entrepreneurial career, if you're in your 20s, should you go and give a chunk of your company to these guys for only $15,000? And moreover, should you fly out to Colorado and take on this whole other project when you could just be in your basement focusing on your company? I ask all those questions to David today, and I hope you enjoy the answers. I'd like to thank our new partner, FreshBooks, for sponsoring this episode. FreshBooks is an easy-to-use online invoicing service that saves you time, gets you paid faster, and makes you look Fortune 500 professional. To learn more, sign up. Go to FreshBooks.com and for a limited time, enter the code VENTURE to save $20 on your paid subscription or go click their link from our website. I use FreshBooks to invoice sponsors and it leaves me with more time to make this show for you. David, welcome to Venture Voice. Thanks. good to be here. Tell me about how you became an entrepreneur.
1: Sure. Um, Right out of college, I had one job interview. I've only ever actually had one and got that job somehow magically. And it happened to be in um, the software business around public safety software. So I worked there a few years and, like a lot of entrepreneurs, decided I didn't want to work for anybody anymore. So I started a company in in the similar space, public safety software, and uh, it went from there.
0: So you started a company in public safety software. Tell me about you know what it was and what happened with it.
1: Yeah, that company was called Pinpoint Technologies. I had two uh, partners, co-founders, and and what was your role? Uh, I was the CTO, uh, basically the head geek. Read a lot of the original code until we got too big, and he didn't want me doing that anymore. Um, <clears throat> but that that company made software that was used by ambulance companies, primarily emergency medical services. Uh, it was installed when I left uh, in 1999 in about uh, four or 500 cities, so it did pretty well. And we sold the company uh, in '99 to Zoll Medical Corporation out of Boston, and they've now renamed the company to Zoll Data Systems. It's a couple hundred employees and still doing pretty well.
0: Great. So after you got through that experience, what were you kind of thinking? Were you thinking, I want to do this again, I can't wait, or, oh, man, that's such a pain, i I got to go do something uh, easier? Yeah. Well, I had to stay around for a little bit
1: um, as part of the, the deal, the acquisition deal, but not too long, and took a little break and did a little traveling. and That's when I first started playing around with angel investing. But, yeah, I pretty much got the itch right away to go do something else and um, took a very, in retrospect, a very wrongheaded view at that time and decided to to go do something that was completely different from anything I'd ever done before. So I, I wanted to learn new stuff. That was my motivation. So I started another company in the mobile social networking space uh, using different technologies, sort of in a consumer world instead of an enterprise software world. I just really wanted to do everything differently, Um, that turned out to be a pretty big mistake. Uh, the company didn't do too well, although we returned a lot of the angel investment that we got, but learned a lot from that failure as I think entrepreneurs always do from failures.
0: So tell me about the back up to when you got into angel investing. I think it's kind of a, a mystery to a lot of people, maybe even more so than venture because, um, there's kind of less written about it and less kind of formal process around it. What was the first angel deal you did?
1: Uh, it was a small company in, in Boulder uh, that no one's ever heard of. And uh, I met the entrepreneur. Uh, she was full of energy and just, you know, it was exciting to be around her. It reminded me of, you know, when our company was three people. Um, and that, that first company had now grown up and was a bureaucratic large company with, you know, 150 people or whatever. And sort of just longed for that interaction with very early stage companies. I mean, to me, the first year, Uh, of every company I've done has always been the most fun. And so it wasn't so much about making money. It was about here's someone that I can help a little bit, um, be a little bit involved in the business and exercise my brain and think about it and uh, sort of live vicariously through her business.
0: And that was so much fun. I started doing more of it. So tell me, like when you did that deal, like, you know, and you, you sit down with the entrepreneur and you both say, okay, you want to make the investment, how do you structure it?
1: The, the first deal I ever did, and I, and I would definitely recommend this to new angel investors, um, you know, was a deal that I jumped into that was already you know, in progress. So I was joining a, a group of investors where there was already a lead. I think that's a good way to do your first deal, to sort of tag along and don't try to set all the rules and follow the crowd a little bit. Because your first deal as an angel investor is going to be about learning anyway. You know, I had no idea what a term sheet was, or because I had never raised money. My, my first business was completely bootstrapped, and we we invested a hundred dollars as founders, and that was it. Um, so this was all new to me, and I had to figure it out. And we went through and you know did the exercise of signing the term sheets and signing the you know the the subscription agreements and so on. And I think you should look at your first angel deal that way if you're going to get into it, just uh, as a learning experience. So.
0: You know, later on, I would begin to lead deals and structure them myself based on that experience. So, tell me, like, with that deal or like when you were doing these deals early on, like, how does it typically work for like that first angel round? Like, you know, what what do you value the company at? How much money comes in at a time?
1: Yeah, most of the, the angel deals that I'm involved in, at least in Colorado, I think the market's a little different everywhere, but you know, probably more or less the same. Um, you, you know, it's, it's a company that's raising somewhere between 500000 and a $1 million. Uh, typically, the valuations are running, you know, $1.5 to $3.5 million uh, pre-money, meaning that, you know, that's before the money that goes in in terms of valuation. But, you know, it, there's no science to it. It's, it's simply a, the valuation is simply a number that the investor can agree to and the entrepreneur can agree to.
0: Makes sense. And then, how much does each uh, angel usually put in on their own? Um, anywhere from 25000
1: dollars is pretty typical. Um, when I f- first started, um, I was doing about fifty thousand uh, dollars generally in the first, you know, seed round.
0: So, tell me about the first few deals that you did. What was your experience like? Did you, you know, did you have? Well, it sounds like you had fun. You know, did you make any money?
1: Uh, ultimately, my did your accountant early- yell at you? <laughs> Uh, my money manager yelled at me. The accountant doesn't care. They just you pay their bill and they're happy. Um, but the you know the, the first few deals, you know, I think a couple of them didn't work very well. I think one of them was a money back deal. Um, I'd say if you looked at the first three deals, they probably lost money. And I think one thing that a lot of people probably don't know is most angel investors won't make money. Uh, it's like most VCs. I think you know seventy eighty percent you know actually aren't going to do very well. Uh, and I think it's probably even more pronounced with angel investors in general. Um, and did you know that getting into it? Oh, I had no idea. You know, there are so many things. It's, it's like being a first-time entrepreneur. You just don't know. You, you get into it and you learn. I, you know, for example, you know, I was putting $50,000 in the first round. I, little did I know that they were probably going to need a double-down round. And then, you, you know, in order to not be diluted, you need to, you know, play in the VC round if there is one. So, you know, you, you go into a deal and you, you're not reserving capital and then you learn, okay, I need to reserve capital for this company as it grows in order to maintain my, my stake in it. So there's just, there's a million things like anything that you learn as you get into it. Mm. And
0: that's an expensive lesson, right?
1: It can be, it can be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what was, uh, so how did that kind of evolve for you? Like what, what'd you get better at? Do you think you got better at picking companies or helping companies or change your criteria? Like how, how that evolve?
1: well, I, I started focusing on the deal flow, and you know I wanted to see more things and I wanted to also start investing outside of Colorado because obviously you know you can get access to better deals, uh, Silicon Valley or New York or elsewhere <clears throat> so i really focused on my network. Um, I started blogging uh, back then at my um, my blog and covering companies that were in Colorado and the scene there a little bit is uh, a lot of people said you know it's a little mini tech crunch for for mostly Boulder Colorado um and I became known as you know as sort of visible as an angel investor which no one in Colorado uh, other than perhaps Bradfeld at the time had really done uh very effectively there were angel groups but there weren't sort of leaders in the community saying I'm I'm an angel investor feel free to send me your stuff I'm sort of waving my arms around and not hiding a lot of angel investors at the time weren't weren't very visible, so you know, I started going to more events, meeting more angel investors, looking for ways to share deal flow, uh, and becoming visible. So as I did that, you know, obviously I was getting more deals. I started to see you know hundreds of deals a year, and you know, I think started a pattern of investing in three to five of those a year. Um, built up a portfolio of maybe you know, 15 companies or so. Um, but you know, for me, the, the whole experience was somewhat dissatisfying. Uh, it was interesting in that I got to play around with these companies early on, but I couldn't really get hands on and help them. Um, traditional angel investing is really about putting money in and then sort of reacting you know, for requests for help, opening up your Rolodex and doing what you can versus really getting involved in the early stage, and and that ultimately
0: is what led me to the TechStars model um, a few years later. Cool. So just to contrast, before we get into TechStars, like when you were doing your angel deals, what stage was a company generally at? What did they have a product? Did they have revenue? Most of them were, you know, the ones that I gravitated towards were, you know, two
1: people and a dog and an idea, you know, in a small in a small garage somewhere, apartment. Um, that was how it was for us when we started, lean, you know, lean and mean and, and very hungry, very energetic with a inter- interesting idea and some talented people. And, um, that's the stage that I've always liked to get involved in. Some of the deals I was doing were a little bit later stage. I, you know, the, the, the latest stage deal I would do, uh, would be a company with a few hundred thousand dollars in annual revenue. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I just never saw stuff that was passed. So certainly pre-revenue was the norm.
0: Yeah, so at least you couldn't use uh, too early as an excuse not to invest, right? No. So now, um, so tell me kind of, you were doing this angel investing, you were still kind of active looking in entrepreneurial ventures. Where did the idea for Techstars kind of spark, and where were you personally at the time? Yeah, so I had I had then, you know, I mentioned the the
1: Mobile social networking company that we did that didn't work. I did another one, um, which was a very short-lived company because it sold very quickly, uh, called Earfeeder. <clears throat> so I'd been investing while I was while I was starting new companies as well. Um, I decided to really after that third company I did to really focus my energies on you know becoming a better angel investor and trying to make money, you know, or at least not lose money, uh, while having fun, you know, doing just that. And you know, Y Combinator had just started in Boston. Um, they had just done their first summer program. Um, Charles Rivers Ventures had done the Quick Start program. And it was very new, and the trend seemed to be you know put less money in upfront and spend more time early on with promising entrepreneurs and get a lot of deal flow and pick the best stuff. And that made a lot of sense to me based on my experiences. Um, you know, with my own angel investments. So uh, really just came up with the model based largely on, on those few things that were happening. I wanted to do it in Boulder. So I went and uh, pitched the man in Boulder, Brad Feld, who uh, at the time was with Mobius Venture Capital, which is, uh, he's got a new fund now called the Foundry Group. And uh, Jared Polis and David Brown, who are my other two partners. And uh, raised a little bit of money, not very much because it doesn't take much, and kicked it off in 2006.
0: How much money did
1: you raise? That first year, uh, it, it was less than a quarter million dollars. So we were able to fund 10 companies. Uh, we had some office space donated to us. And, you know, there wasn't really no overhead because I wasn't taking a salary. I was just doing it for the equity. Uh, and the mentors who chipped in all did it, you know, pro bono, because they wanted to help improve the community locally and to be involved in something fun like this.
0: So, you know, we've been able to do a whole lot with very little money. Perhaps you can get one of these things started for less money than the angel round for most companies. You, know, you see, now now they're starting up for you know what
1: twenty thousand dollars to fund five companies. I saw the other day. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah three thousand dollars at Eclipse. So uh, you know someone's even gone micro on that. But uh, yeah, you you can. I mean, as long as you have you know people who are willing to sort of do it for the equity, and you don't have a lot of uh, expense and people. That that's how we did it.
0: Yeah, and going through kind of your thought process, we saw on your blog that uh, you were thinking about being the CTO of some other startups instead of doing uh, or at the same time as doing TechStars.
1: Yeah, there was a point you know I guess right when I started TechStars um, in my head I was going through should I go do another startup join someone become a founder or CTO of a brand new company and I had some really interesting opportunities to do that or should I follow my heart and go to this thing that you know is calling me which was TechStars. Um, ultimately i I chose uh, Techstars. I think that maybe the blog post you're you 're thinking about is the one that I wrote recently about um, there 'll be plenty of time for that later <laughs> uh, that 's a line I hear a lot. Uh, young entrepreneurs are told you know by people who are close to them or some advisors you know you can start a company later, save some money, get going. I think that 's a big fallacy that, you know I think the the earlier the better if you 're passionate about starting a company, go do it now it 's only going to get harder. Uh, as you get older and you have more responsibilities and, you know, a spouse and a mortgage payment and, you know, just out of college, you're used to living on very little money. uh, And you're, you're sort of used to, you know, going all
0: all night and working on things. And, you know, that's, that's what a startup's about. Hmm. So tell me, so you started Techstars and uh, with less than a quarter of a million dollars. So to kind of you know, put it into perspective. Com, you know, compared to a, a small venture fund's a hundred million, so here you are, this tiny little fund. What's the pitch going out to entrepreneurs who you want to fund? Well,
1: yeah, I think you know, it's TechStars is not about you know the money. If you're if you're doing TechStars to get ten or fifteen thousand dollars, I think you're looking at it for the wrong reason. It's really. About the mentorship that we can provide, the instant network, the access to funding—you know—we like to be viewed as a co-founder. And I think Techstars takes uh, common stock in exchange for the program. Literally, you know, the deal that we have is we look just like a founder in terms of the agreements, with no rights to invest further, no rights to control the company in any way, and that's very intentional uh, because. In the, in the early stages of the company, it's really about who can you bring to the table as a team in order to make your startup credible and to make some interesting progress early on. So the pitch is, if you're doing a startup, uh, would you exchange a little bit of equity for the sort of experience that our list of mentors brings to the table, the access to capital, the connections, the Rolodex that they have? If you think of it that way, as sort of adding a co-founder, it's a no-brainer. And that's how we like to present it. And how much equity do you take? Uh, in the past, it's been 5%. Um, this year, we've moved it to 6%. So it's a flat, common stock equity stake. And again, it's founder stock with you know, no special rights. So anything that happens to the founders is going to happen to Techstars. Now, we're not a fund. As you point out, is very small. Um, we're, we're not directly investing in the series a or the seed round of the company however many people around the program have their own funds some are venture capitalists i have my own fund um, you know a great example of that jeff clavier who's one of our mentors you know ended up investing in, in a company from 2008 called Foodie. Um, so that's the typical path is the people around the program are sort of a built-in seed round for companies
0: that are interesting and who exactly provided the capital for it was it all private investors or any institutional for tech stars, it's just the four of
1: us. It's uh, you know
0: Brad Feld, myself, Jared Polis, and David Brown. And how did you decide on five percent? You know, why not two and a half percent? Why not ten percent? It felt right, and it's it's proven out
1: um, that it's about right. Um, you know, I think you know one or two percent, especially after the seed round happens, dilutes us out so much that it's not as interesting for us. You know, in the long run, uh, whereas I think ten percent. Although I feel the program is certainly worth that, and most of the entrepreneurs who go through the program will tell you the same thing. They feel like they would have given more equity for the value. Um, it just felt like about the right place. And why push it up to six? Um, one of the things that we're doing this year that's new is we're, we figured out a way to incent the mentors who are involved in the program. We have about 50 um, mentors from all over the country um, folks like Matt Mullenweg, Jeff Clavier that I mentioned earlier, Dick Costolo, Howard Lindzen, you know, a long list that you can see on the website. And in the past, they really had no stake in these companies. So what we're doing is we've taken, uh, you know, that extra point and we're allocating it to those mentors that help those companies, which I think will create more long-term engagement. Uh, It's something we're going to try this year. We we haven't had any particular problem with that, but just as a way of sort of saying thanks to the mentors. And we're also offering a little more funding to balance that. So it's not just a take thing.
0: Now, when the program was first getting started in programs like this, a lot of people were criticizing them saying, you know, look, the valuation to take 5% for, or give up 5% for 10, 15 K is far less than like the angel rounds you described. So if you're a competent entrepreneur, you know, you should be able to raise at a 1.5 to 3 pre, or, you know, if you're incompetent, then have fun. So, you know, what what's your kind of defense for that? You know, what's the pitch to, you know, strong, strong young entrepreneurs as to why they should do this deal at a relatively low valuation for what a deal is? Well,
1: again, it goes back to the value being in the mentorship and the network and the access to capital. And not you know, If you look at it from a monetary perspective, it makes almost no sense for most entrepreneurs. And I think that's where the noise comes from. Um, you know, It's from people who are hearing about the program and not really looking into it. Or in some cases, it might be from entrepreneurs who have done a few things and already have a very large network. Um, you know, I think I would challenge people to take a closer look and really think about what is the value of having people like these mentors, like Bradfeld and, and Jeff Clavia, and Matt Mullenweg, people who you could really normally never get their attention, even in five or 10 years, really focused on your startup for a few months. Uh, that's what it's all about. So, to do a mathematical calculation, ha- how do you value that? It's not in the equation, and I think that's the flaw in that thinking.
0: He also dug up um, a piece from Paul Graham who'd founded Y Combinator, which I guess was the, I think it was the first one of these kind of style investing programs. And he'd said, one of the most common emails we get is from people asking if we can help them set up a local clone of Y Combinator, but that just wouldn't work. Seed funding isn't re- regional, just uh, just as big research universities aren't.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um, not a very widely known story, but if you go back and look at my blog, um, from when I started Techstars, you know, the first thing I did was send Paul one of those emails. Uh, And at that time, Y Combinator, again, had done one class. I think they had done 10 companies. It was a very new thing. And I said, Hey, I, you know, I really want to do this. I love your model. You know, what I want to tweak it a little bit based on, you know, what would work here in Colorado. And you know what we got back was a flat rejection. Um, you know, I tried
0: phrase nicely. To, or? Oh yeah, it's totally not. Yeah, it was
1: just you know we're not interested in that. And you know, I'd offered to come out and have a meeting. And you know, you know, Paul just clearly in what you just read isn't interested in, in expanding you know geographically beyond where he is. And you know, obviously his prerogative. But it, but I think he's wrong. It does work elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I think we've shown that. You know, we've had some success. Certainly more than uh, paid for what we're doing in Colorado with the successes we've had. And I think you know you, you can't do it anywhere, but you can do it in any you know reasonable startup community. So um, you know I think it I think it would work in Seattle. I think it would work in Austin. I think it would work in New York. Um, and uh, you know I think we've shown that.
0: So tell me with uh, with your program, when someone takes some money, they have to come out to Colorado they do have to spend the
1: summer in colorado with us i think you know again the value being the mentorship that's what it's all about and and we do these sessions two or three times a week where we have dinner together and we it's sort of mentor led for about half an hour and we talk about a thing a subject so it might be you know how how to monetize or go to market strategy or technology session but then we quickly turn it into a very um direct one on one conversation with the companies uh, and the goal of all these sessions that we do with the mentors is to create a real level of engagement with the mentors, not to stand up and teach a class uh, it 's about meeting these people, getting to know them and being in their orbit so that you know for the rest of your career, as you need help from people like that, you have them in your rolodex and you you really know them at that level. Uh, obviously, they give you a ton of feedback um,
0: so tell me though well. when when they go here like you know where do they live, where do they work, where do they eat? I've never been to Colorado. Like, oh, what's, it, what's it like? You should come check it
1: out. Um, you know, Boulder's a, a small town not too far from Denver, uh, which is a larger city, and it's a very uh, laid back community. People are very open door there. Lots of companies are helping each other. It's a very collaborative environment. Uh, we have the second largest new tech meetup in the country next to New York, uh, where we get about 400 people every month. And we provide, uh, Techstars provides a space uh, in downtown Boulder, right in the, sort of the neatest part of the city. Uh, it's about 10,000 square feet, and it's affectionately called the bunker. Uh, that's because it's underground, sort of in a basement. And uh, others call it the subterranean party lounge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an old health club, and we have uh, locker rooms with hot tubs and all this funny stuff going on. But half of the, half of the space, about 5,000 square feet, is coffee shop style. You know, which is where a lot of startups happen, and we try to emulate that and give them just nice, cushy, you know, cushy lounge chairs to hang out in, and couches, and very collaborative spaces. The other half of the space is more traditional office space. They're offered that space throughout the summer. They don't have to be there, you know, every day or use it. A lot of them will choose to work out of their apartment or whatever, so it's an option for them. Um, many of them do choose to work out of there, so it works pretty well.
0: I and mean, they live there too, or
1: um no they don 't live uh, <laughs> some of them do live in the bunker, you would think um, you know the the funding goes towards them finding housing, so we have interns uh, from the University of Colorado that help them find housing, and we time generally we time the program. With the summer break of the University of Colorado, so there tends to be a lot of housing available that's furnished just for the summer, just at the right times. So we help them find that. They use some of their seed funding on that, and they're at the bunker an awful
0: lot for sessions uh, and a lot of meals together. So, so tell me about let's let's just talk about last year. How many people were there? How many um, how many companies did those people make up? And then kind of, you know, what was the breakdown, like, age-wise, gender-wise? For each of the
1: first two years, we did 10 companies. So we've now done 20. Um, the, the In the first year, we had 26, I believe, founders, all male. Uh, and they were generally, you know, I think average age was 25, 26, something like mm-hmm. that. You know, We had a 19-year-old and maybe a few... Th- 35-ish um, folks in the first year. So we made a concerted effort um, in the second year. I hired uh, Gwen Bell, who helped us evangelize uh, Techstars to female entrepreneurs, and that worked really well. We ended up in the second year with seven women in the program. Um, and I think the average age went up a little bit. We had a few folks that were older. We saw a little bit higher quality uh, application on average. And you know, it's It's been pretty good in terms of diversity lately.
0: What's the I guess you only have it's two years old now, so let's say from the first class, you said ten companies. what What do those 10 companies look like now?:
1: From the first 10, uh, there were seven that ultimately did uh, angel investment or venture deals. Um, two of those companies have since been acquired. Uh, one was social thing that was acquired by AOL, the other was intense debate, which was acquired
0: by uh, Automatic WordPress. Oh, yeah, I talked to them um, connected through Pete at uh, Daily Candy with those guys. Okay, sure, uh, yeah, a little while before they were acquired.
1: Yeah, so the, you know there are eight companies left from that class. You know, five or six of those are are doing pretty well, um, still running on their funding. What
0: level were the uh, acquisitions
1: at? Were they like home runs or you know? I think How for the entrepreneurs, they? they were, um, you know, again, these were first time founders, um, both of those deals were substantial deals that, you know, changed their lives in a pretty major way. I mean, it's substantial way.
0: like, uh, in the millions. Yeah. The- yeah.
1: Sub 10 million type deals. I can- I'm not at liberty to give you exact numbers, but, um, you know, they're both meaningful exits for those companies. Like between two and 10 million. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, for us as 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 small investors, um, you know, it it was positive. It sort of helped pay for the program. Actually, it's more than paid for the program. You know, but then there were angel investors. Of course, I was an angel in one of those deals uh, after you know in the in the angel round, and so you know that was a nice multiplier. That's really for me. It's it's somewhat about deal flow. A big part of doing it is, is really to help you know, the community around Boulder and um, have some interesting things going on there. So you know, a great side effect, for example, of the social thing exit is that AOL's opened a bigger
0: office in Boulder, and there are people there working on Bebo now and other things. So that's been great. So if I were your money manager and you were justifying it to me, you'd say it's almost a, a loss leader maybe for their real angel investing? You know, I think TechStars as a business is is
1: sustainable and profitable. You know, so it's it's not even a loss leader. Um, you know, we're huge fans of the model. I've been promoting it. You know, we always say TechStars is open source. I talk to at least one group a week that wants to do something like this. But yeah, certainly, you know, you need to put in larger dollars if you know you want to get a meaningful exit out the other end of it. I think just doing a program where you're investing ten or fifteen thousand dollars. You know, can be sustainable as we've shown, but it's it's not going to be huge business, and so again, it's it's about you know deal flow for larger investments or the people around the program.
0: So let's talk about that ten or fifteen grand. Um, Does it is it spent just about all on you know housing, living expenses, travel, or how much goes to the business, and then you know what's it spent on? Like very little of it will actually go towards
1: you know the business. It's not going to be used to hire employees or anything like that. In fact, we we generally recommend that the founders not hire new people during the summer while they're there. We, we, we break Techstars into three phases. Uh, the, the first phase is really stop working on what you're working on and start listening, engage the mentors, and make sure you're working on the right thing. That's the most important thing. The second month tends to be about uh, you know building a nice prototype and getting some customers using it. The third month tends to be about investment. So, Throughout that whole time, they're most of the money is probably going towards where they're living, uh, just sustain you know sustaining their lives personally, uh, rent, food, and things like that. Um, and then you know after the program, again, I think they have a built-in seed round if they're good, and that's where they'll be able to actually hire people and add staff and do things like that.
0: And tell me also about the the legal work. I know one of the challenges with angel rounds has always been that. The legal fees can be quite high and sometimes kind of offset the value, the money that you're taking in. How do you guys handle that? You know, how much are the legal fees just to do that 10 or $15,000 investment?
1: It's, a, it's another hidden
0: benefit of TechStars
1: that we have sponsors, um, Cooley Godward and KKO are two law firms that donate services. So we have all those documents standardized. Do you make them public? Uh, we're about to make them public. We're just getting ready to release them. Uh, we're kind of cleaning them up and de-identifying some stuff. But we're, we're about to release the whole set of documents um, on techstars.org, on the blog, which include you know bylaws and subscription agreement and resolutions and the whole package. Um, so people can certainly reuse those, but I, I would never recommend using them without a lawyer sort of looking mm-hmm. over it because every case is specific but you know we've really pretty much eliminated those costs for our startups uh, you know when they w- the ones that come out and do a venture deal of course the venture investors are going to want a different set of documents so that still gets pretty expensive but you know we've sort of got the $500,000 angel round down pat or you know literally you know a few thousand dollars and legal review and
0: you're done and then do those docs generally hold through the next round of like a bigger angel round or yeah they'll yeah they'll hold through you know the double-down round, if there
1: is one. Um, it could be reused if the valuation's not moving around. Mm. Um, but generally, yeah, when, again, when the venture investors come in, they always want the thick stack of, of documents that are
0: different. So I think I cut you off when you were finishing describing the first class, but you had the two get acquired. What happened to the other eight? Yeah, so
1: many of them are companies you might have heard of, and there's a company called Filterbox. It's doing really well. There's a company called BrightKite, uh, which is... Uh, you know, mobile social network, much like my second startup that just wasn't five years too early. Uh, that's doing really well. Um, so you know, f- four or five of those companies again are, are, are strong companies that look like they have a real chance to do something interesting. Uh, Venview is another one. You know, a couple of them are struggling. Uh, one of them is defunct, and one of them basically folded right when they left in the summer. They went back to college. They were still in school, and we learned the lesson that. Uh, if you're still in school, you may not be totally focused, which is uh, key. So we haven't had founders who are still in college uh, since then. Of
0: course, do you worry that you might miss, like, the next Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah, or? you know, there's no rule,
1: right? But yeah, yeah. We're, we're a little more cautious of it because that happened. But, uh, you know, we're really excited about that first class. It's, it's um, you know, clear that overall it's been a positive thing. And, you know, I have high hopes for some of the companies that are still out there in the the class that just graduated, uh, the 2008 group, is you know also 10 companies. And I think five or six of them did angel deals. where in the first year; we had seven. Um, so you know we're running about 60, 65 percent getting um, real investment, and then we had a couple more companies that were just profitable and never took money. So that's always nice too.
0: Is what? What do you see the challenges when people take this money? It's kind of you know they could do the business without it. They take the money, but obviously you need more money before you can ever start hiring people and really kind of sustain a business unless it can be bootstrapped. So you know, is there a challenge that like if you – since you guys are investors, if you don't invest, if they then go around to other people and they say, hey, we graduated stars," they say, oh, well, is David investing? And if they say no, isn't that like, oh, well, the guy who knows the company most intimately and is an angel investor isn't putting money in?
1: I was very afraid of that in the first year. It's turned out to not be true. You know, that's sort of the poison pill um, thing that that a lot of people talk about where, you know, if David or Brad or whoever's involved decides I'm not going to invest in company X, is that company essentially dead? And we found the answer to be no. There have been plenty of companies that have been funded post-TechStars by um, independent investors who are doing their own homework and their own diligence. Uh, that are good companies, and you know, not every company that comes out of TechStars is a good company, but a, a lot of them are. We mm. think, and you know, I, I've personally participated in just a few uh, of the
0: thirteen or so that have been funded. So, what's an example of a company that came out? You four didn't invest, and someone else did. Uh, they're everywhere. I think a,
1: an easy example that a lot of people heard of is Brightkite. Um, Brightkite raised uh, over a million dollars. I think about one point one million. Uh, Post tech stars, uh, and I had been in the mobile space. It, w- it was basically a theme that I wasn't investing in at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, looking back on that deal, yeah, sure, it's taken off. I should have done it. It's an interesting company, but it's just not something that I personally was interested in. I think professional investors understand that other professional investors, you know, will often invest by theme in the later stages, late being the A round for <laughs> for mm-hmm. a, a startup. Uh, and, you know, it's not necessarily a poison pill. So there's other examples that are like that.
0: And what do you find is kind of, you know, what do these guys have to accomplish over the summer to be able to justify that angel around? Like, where is, you know, I think the bar might may have been changing over the past few years as things have gotten cheaper. Where are you seeing the bar is now? yeah they certainly have to have people using the thing
1: whatever the thing is whether that's you know on demand software or consumer app uh they need to have real customers really banging on it and have a prototype that is meaningful it doesn't have to be complete uh they need to be telling a you know sensible story and they have especially today, some sense of how they're ultimately going to drive revenue from this thing. You know, I don't think it's enough anymore with most investors to just say, we're going to build something that people are going to love and, uh, everyone's going to come flock to it and we'll figure out how to monetize it. I, that can still be true. And there are still investors who will, you know, invest in that, in that way. But especially in angel rounds, you know, I'm seeing just more cautious investors that really want to understand what the revenue model is. I, I'll still invest in a company that I think is just going to be a big hit, and I'm not sure how it's going to make money um, because I'll I'll primarily focus on the team and have faith that the team will figure that out. But uh, in general, you do need to put more thought into that these days.
0: What are you seeing is uh, kind of you get to see a lot of these companies now. What are the trends you're seeing in terms of if it's better to have two or three people on the team, Of the successful ones, like is it like one business guy and one tech guy, or are they both tech guys who've kind of figured it out, or you know, two Jacks of all trades versus two specialists? What what are you seeing there in the team makeup? Um, It's all over the map, but I I think the the
1: sure thing with a web or a software company is you you better have at least one true rock star software developer as a founder who's really committed and invested because. I've seen a few companies that you know lately that have a really good team, but that tech guy's not vested enough, and he ends up leaving and taking a two hundred thousand dollars a year job pretty early on because startups are, you know, not going to pay him that, and he's got that opportunity, and he he's not he doesn't feel totally vested in the company. That that's very dangerous. So the big lesson that you know I've learned um, watching these thirty or so startups that I've invested in has just been make sure that technologist as a true rock star and make sure he's really a vested partner in the company.
0: Yeah. It's interesting feedback. I actually talked to one entrepreneur who'd contacted me as a listener, who is a former Y Combinator entrepreneur, where he was the business guy and that guy ran off to a nice paying job. Yeah. Yeah. That can really
1: hurt because then you, then you're looking for a rock star developer who you're going to pay next to nothing. And that's hard. You know, it's, it's hard to find that person. And they're going to have to pick up what the other person has done. And, you know, I've seen it kill the company. Uh, we had that happen with with one tech Techstars company that, you know, isn't doing great but is, is surviving. And we'll see how they deal with it. But, it, it, you know, it's really tough. So, you know, I get a lot of applications. We get about 400 uh, every year. And the ones that are, you know, two people, I'm the business guy and I found this tech guy and I've given him 2%. It's a little bit of a red flag. I mean, I think, you know, there's no business yet really find that partner. If you're the, the idea guy, because the idea, as you know, isn't what ultimately matters. It's building it and executing it. And then for that, you need that developer.
0: I have lots of people come to me for advice where they're the business guy and they're like, Oh man, I got this idea. I just need someone to build it. What's your advice to that person? Like, how do you go about finding these rockstar tech guys?
1: There's a couple of uh, paths that we recommend, you know, meetups like the one that's here in New York or the one I was mentioning in Colorado, you know, hundreds of people getting together, they're now popping up, um, meetups that are specific for this purpose. So founders looking for founders or looking for co-founders. So that's one great way. Um, there's a neat website called programmer meet designer. If I think I have that right. Dot uh, com that, that, you know, the story of intense debate is that they met on that website. Had never met in person until they got to Techstars. And that's, you know, the company that was ultimately acquired by, by Automatic and a big success story. So, you know, I've seen that work. But, you know, your personal network is probably the best place to start. Just start reaching out, working in your personal network, going to everyone you know and making them aware of this need. Take it seriously and make it a priority to find that person. And, you know, it's like anything. If you focus on it, you can get it done.
0: So what are you finding now, like, in your last summer, I guess it was really before, at least when people were kind of applying, making their decisions before the economy's gone into meltdown. And I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask kind of how is this, um, how is this going to affect next year, especially given that, you know, your your program here is really based on the idea that people are going to find more money after what you give them.
1: We're going to find out, I, you know, I, all the signs are that it's not going to have a huge impact on us. It has, I'm sure, some impact. Uh, it's just, in general, less money out there. A lot of angel investors find themselves in the position where their stock portfolio is down 40%, and therefore the percentage of their net worth that they're investing is you know, used up, where if they're investing 10% of it, it's suddenly they're... Overcommitted in their angel allocation, so that's going to happen. I think VCs are also generally looking at later stage stuff more than early stage stuff. Uh, but we've seen some positive signs. Uh, you know, I think that uh, two or three of the tech source companies from uh, two thousand eight were funded. You know, sort of post crash. Um, so, you know, I think Igniter uh, is a good example. That foodsy is a good example. Both you know, did million dollar rounds post, um, you know, all the issues in the market and the global market. Um, so it, you know, good companies are still going to get funded. So I think it's just more important than ever to build a good company. And, you know, the macro economy has very little to do with how your startup's going to do. If you build a great company, it doesn't matter when you build it, it's going to work.
0: And a lot of people are saying now that these web 2.0 companies where you just build them on the web very cheaply that the the added value is starting to become incremental. I think there's just a a business week cover story about this. And at the same time uh, I saw a quote from Jeremy Liu saying something to the effect that, you know, Yelp saw, you know, Yelp just had to beat city search, which was this really old school website that wasn't very feature rich, but now you'd have to go and beat Yelp, which, you know, has already kind of taken advantage of, um, all the virility and all the kind of virtues that the, the this kind of new uh, web 2.0 offers. So, you know, do you worry that like kind of there was this window for web 2.0 you build the stuff really cheap and just, there are going to be fewer and fewer opportunities to make a big impact. I think, you know, consumers
1: have come to expect the web two sort of experience and, you know, you have, you have, that's sort of the minimum bar, right? Um, I guess we're more focused on is the startup in a, a large market um, that there's something, you know, the dynamics in that market are changing, either it's growing or it's shrinking uh, or it's being eliminated and, and replaced by better technology. So, and I think that's the key for me as an investor is to just make sure that the company is working in a space where there's interesting things going on. And you're going to have to build, if you're working on a consumer product, You have to build something that has the attributes that people will, you know, quote unquote, call web to. Um, so that's, that's kind of how I think about it.
0: So tell me now, what's the timeline for getting in on this next year? If someone's listening and they want to do tech stars, what do they do?
1: you want to do Techstars, uh, applications open January 19th, and they close March 21st. So you have a couple months uh, to apply. The application is really, really simple. Um, it's about 15 questions on the website. Uh, this year we're adding uh, video submissions. So if you want, you can just submit a video and answer those same questions. You don't have to write anything? You don't have to write I anything. I could be illiterate and My, I could yeah. be a tech star. Uh. Exactly. Cavemen could do it. <laughs> um, so you know, as long as you answer the questions, I think the, the video has to be five minutes or less. Um, you can sing and dance or do whatever you want to do. Or you can just fill out the traditional application. Uh, we also do this thing called Techstars for a day uh, in early March. I think it's March 3rd this year. So if you apply before then uh, you'll potentially get an invite to that and come hang out and get to know some of us so we can get to know you better and figure out if it's for you. Um, so we'll probably see four or 500 applications this year and you know we're being a little more flexible on number of companies that we're going to take this year so uh, it'll be around 10. But uh, we'll do the ones we're excited about, and the program starts uh, in, in mid-May and runs to mid-August.
0: And just uh, just very briefly, do you think? How do, how do you see this area evolving? Like you were saying, there's still lots of people out there interested in doing this, and you're meeting with them. You know, I'd say every probably three months you're seeing a new one of these programs launch. Be it, I think there's one in DC. There's um, several others out there you know where do you see this going are there going to be 10 of these things working could the market support 50 I think I think the major cities and where there's
1: startup activity and where there's a reasonable culture and dynamic for startups to occur um, you know can support a program like this and I've been talking to people in Europe. I've been talking to people in pretty much any city that, you know, anybody's ever heard of has called me and we've had conversations about how to do this. You know, I think a lot of people are going to try it. A lot of cities are going to try it. I think that's a good thing. Uh, You know, the model behind Techstars to me represents a very rare triple win. It's a win for the community you do it in because more interesting stuff is happening there and more talent comes in. It's a win for the investors who are involved because they get to really experience the companies. you know, directly before putting larger dollars in. And I'm a big advocate that it's a big win for the entrepreneurs, especially young first-time entrepreneurs who don't have a lot of experience. They can accelerate the growth of their company, the progress of their company and, and do in three months what it might otherwise take them five years to figure out. And so, you know, that's a model that works. And the fact that it's sustainable for the people who are putting the money into it, you know, programs like Techstars and Y Combinator have shown that. Sure. I expect to see lots and lots of, of programs like this. And I think that's a good thing.
0: I think we're seeing kind of two variations going on now. One is, you know, you could imagine it as it gets more competitive between these programs, people offer bigger dollars, like why not do this and get you know 30 grand instead of 15. And then the other way you could, like you, you'd mentioned at the beginning, I think Darren Herman launched this thing and there are a few others where people just say, okay, you know, it's not about the money, so it give you all this stuff, and you really only need, you know, one to three grand. Yeah. So do you see it evolving in either direction? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, it's about the
1: mentorship. I mean, that's what it is. And and the difference in the long term for any company between $15,000, 30000 or $3,000 is, is negligible. It's not going to have a large impact. What's going to have a large impact is the feedback, advice, connections, and access to capital that you get early on. And so I think that's what's going to make programs credible is providing a group of people, not just, you know, from their local community, but a nice, you know, national wor- worldwide group of mentors who are very credible and who bring, you know, real attention to those companies and help them in meaningful ways.
0: If you're not providing that, it doesn't matter if you're doing 3000, 10,000 or 50,000
1: makes no difference.
0: Great. So that answers some of my questions. You have any closing thoughts to entrepreneurs out there thinking about doing this or otherwise? Just do it, um, you
1: know surround yourself with great people. That's the key and uh, start working on it and good things will happen.
0: Well David, thanks a lot for coming on the show.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having
0: me. That's all for this edition of Venture Voice. I'd like to thank my sponsors again, FreshBooks. You can get a, a discount code to use their service, which again, I use for my invoicing either by going to VentureVoice.com and clicking the link or typing in Venture when you sign up. Hope you got a lot out of the show with David. Maybe they'll see you in Boulder, Colorado soon. Either way, be sure to go to VentureVoice.com, leave a comment, write what you think. I definitely look at the comments. Often the guests will, too, and will respond to you. Thanks to our associate producer, Eddie Lebaton, for helping put this show together. And thanks to all you, the listeners, for coming in and giving us great feedback. Until next time, I'm Greg Gallant of Venture Voice, entertaining entrepreneurship.